record button. Welcome to Hand of Pod. Nice little introduction. <laughs> Beautiful evening, Gabashito, where we're once again on Dan Edwards' lovely terrace. Unfortunately, the now rapidly becoming world-famous dogs aren't with us, um, and nor are any of our guests, although Gerardo is going to be up very shortly. Uh, welcome to the second episode of the Hand of Pod podcast, with me, Sam Kelly, Dan Edwards of Goal.com. Hello and welcome. And Dan Colasimone of Argentina Football World. Welcome. Um, well, we're going to be discussing the, the Super Clásico. And uh, which happened last Tuesday, of course, and proved that we're all very good at predicting things, I think. <laughs> my, my dull nil-nil didn't quite happen, but the other predictions of a fairly close and cagey match, eventually settled by the odd goal, uh, did come true. Um, River Plate won 1-0 with a goal from former Boca Juniors defender Jonathan Maidana. Um, Gerardo's going to be up, hopefully, in a few minutes to give us his thoughts as a supporter of the winning team, but our two neutrals here... Any thoughts on the game? Well, if I can go first, I just don't think we were surprised in any way. We knew it was going to be a very tight game. River and Boca, they're both going through a very difficult moment and that was completely reflected in the play. It was a very cagey game. There really wasn't very many chances to speak of. River, in the end, had a few more chances. They were guilty of missing a few chances. And in the end, Boca were just really handicapped because they lost Raquel May almost from the first minute, I think. The way they were set up, they needed Riquelme to be really on his game and because he was pretty much a statue for the whole first half before coming off, they just didn't have any way to really compete. Mm. Right, I think it was about seven minutes in where he mm. he sort of did his injury and then after that he was not really doing anything at all, was he? And then he came off at half-time. So. No, I, I was going to, uh, you've just reminded me actually, Dan, that somebody, I'm assuming you saw it, sent us, a, us both a link on Twitter today. Um, to a, a blog piece written by a professional scout on oh, his yes. blog, who had been to the Super Classico, and uh, one of the one of the things that he picked Lamela out for was the fact that he very impressively managed to overshadow Juan Román Riquelme during the game, <laughs> in spite of the fact that Riquelme was essentially lame for the whole of the first <laughs> half and wasn't even on the pitch at all for the, any of the second. Um, yeah, he was, he was hardly moving, was he? And he he seemed to he he really was. It was one of those occasions where he was more of a hindrance to the team than. Uh, than helping them because he, he seemed to lose turnover possession every time. He was just so slow in in controlling the ball and everything. Mm. Um, and, and through no real fault of his own, I thought it was obviously a, whether it's a recurrence of the older injury or not. Um, but it looks like it's going to keep him out for well for the rest of 2010. Yep, that was confirmed and today. He's definitely out for for the rest of the year. Uh, it's the it's the tendonitis in his right. Achilles, I think. It's right, um, Achilles heel, I believe. And that was one of the, the sticking points in, in this whole contract negotiation that was yeah. going on uh, earlier in the year. Um, this sort of long-term serious injury that he has um, with the potential to keep him out of a lot of games. About the fact that he's 32 years old. He's 32 years old. and He's had his fair share of knocks over his career. Right. Yeah. And apart from anything, on top of this, 
the pressure that was on him to perform in that game was unlike almost anything. More maybe the only equivalent would be someone like Messi in the World Cup carrying Argentina. Like, mm. but even Messi has got quality players around him. Rakamo's got almost no one. Yeah, um, I mean the, the only thing that I thought when it initially happened, and perhaps as a River fan, there's a certain amount of. Uh, sadism involved in this <laughs> was the fact that it does make the Boca directors now are going to be very embarrassed I would say they've got a certain amount of egg on their faces because the, the amount of arguing that went on over Riquelme's contract and the fact that the old treasurer whose name I forget temporarily um, actually resigned when Riquelme's contract was ratified out of disgust because he was insisting that the club couldn't afford it it said something and about now, the fa- financial well-being of a club when the treasurer resigns over that yeah and, and when you're paying the guy five million dollars over four years mm. and and it looks like he's not going to be playing for well at least now it's going to be what one and a half matches for the first seven months of his contract yeah. is what he's going to have fulfilled right the whole this whole apertura he's, he's played exactly that one and a half matches and uh, and we don't know, we, you know he, of course he's, he's going to come back and then he's going to take some time to get into it again and yeah it, it, it was a big risk to, uh, to to sign him up on such a big contract and it looks like uh, that didn't didn't pay off at all yeah um I mean, one thing I'd like to just talk about quickly before Gerardo comes up and starts gliding about River <laughs> is that a result of that game, the Super Classico, is that the next day, well, actually about an hour after after the game ended, Claudio Borghi resigned as oh, manager of yes. Boca. Mm. And, you know, he's very modest about it. He's a very humble guy, a very well-spoken, and he said, you know, the job was... He essentially said the job was too big for him. I was just wondering, um, with my esteemed colleagues here, who do you think is the right man to lead Boca forward? Honestly, I'm, I'm having but, trouble um, thinking of, of a really good candidate who's, yeah. I mean, I mean, who's available at the moment. Jose Pecoman was mentioned in, in connection with the River job. I don't know whether he would be likely really to, to take any club job in Argentina, full stop. But it wouldn't surprise me if Boca went for somebody like him. And I mean, uh, it seems the fans' choice at the moment, at least according to our polling yeah. in Ole, would be um, Juan Diego Maradona. Yes, I saw that. Which would be really, I've not noticed that. Yeah, well, it came out. Would they, be interesting. Um, yes. They favoured him over Falcioni of Banfield, who's a very, you know, probably about it's chalk and cheese as mm. managers go the two. Yes, one of them is competent. <laughs> one of them is. <laughs> well, I did see one of, the, one of the Argentinian journalists commenting on that rumor, saying, um, "Well, Maradona replacing Borghi, that would be quite a good move if they were both still playing, and it was just 1980s right now." <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, in terms of coaching Boca, I could only see that. Um, Getting one, more and more wrong. I think one comment I had when the news sprang to mind is that it would be a very easy way to get Raquel May to walk out on a five million dollar contract. <laughs> of course, yeah, I forgot about the whole yeah, Raquel May element as well. That's very true. That is very true. No, I, I, I think it'll be. Um, it will continue to be somebody Argentine, which which sounds like a no brainer to say, but you know there are other good options in in South America and similar to what I mentioned um, in in part of the podcast last week that we didn't use I have an American friend who's a big Boca fan who's lived in Buenos Aires for the last five years and he feels that uh, to an extent that the Argentine national side might be better off being managed by somebody, maybe not a non-Argentine but somebody who's spent a lot of time out of the country a a Baldano figure or whatever who's not mixed in with the whole sort of political side of having to please all of the clubs and I think to an extent you could say the same of Boca they're they're such a, a big institution Within the country, that they might be better off going for for a sort of a lesser known a Uruguayan coach or somebody who's who's got some some slight distance from the from the whole yeah. culture. I think you've up. definitely got a point there. I remember just before Marcelo Bielsa resigned as um as Chile coach before Segovia took over. That's how another story, but 
he was making a lot of comments, um, comparisons between Chile and Argentina. And, you know, Bios is a very, very smart guy. You have to listen to him, what he says. And he was saying, the problem in Argentina is that people act first and think later. It's a very kind of emotionally driven society and that is reflected in the football completely. People act with their heart, they think with their heart more than anything. And that definitely comes over a lot in, in even in the football side and in the coaches. And yeah, something that happens in, in politics and society and, and football as well is this, this constant search for a kind of hero figure who's going to instantly solve all your problems. And it, it, to some extent that's how Maradona got the job leading into the World Cup and this is why his name is being mentioned for Boca. It's it's kind of like throwing all your eggs into one basket and and, and praying that this this miracle worker is, is going to solve all your problems. And mm. more often than not, it doesn't work. Any anything else you guys wanted to comment about the Super Classico? Uh, just it, it was a a fairly dull game. I was as a River fan, obviously pleased with the result. Particularly pleased that it was a, a former Boca player who who got the winner and celebrated it so nicely. And, and the the whole Funes Mori business, I mean, I was on Twitter during it and so many people when he came off the bench were suddenly sending me messages saying, oh, why has he not been on the pitch for 19... And I was having to reply saying, because he's not any good, he's not in the game. And, um, but it was, you know, I, I thought, well, when Funes Mori came on the pitch and people around the world at least watched the last 10 minutes with some interest, but I thought Lamela was, was the real star um, of, of the show for River. He, he's showing more and more each week what he's capable of he, he's, he needs to achieve a little consistency first of all but for 17 and considering the burden that's that's being placed on his shoulders this season with how badly River are doing um, I think he's done well so far and yeah. I hope that we can that River can keep hold of him in January because um, they're going to need him in the class order as well really that he, he's got it, something that it would be good to see them hang on to I think he's played about 10 games so far and, and already talk of him leaving to somewhere, somewhere like Juventus uh, yeah, which would be extremely rapid move and it would be good to see him you know play his trade a couple of years in, in Argentina did either of you catch Boca versus Arsenal on uh, Saturday or Sunday over the weekend at all I didn't catch the whole game no but I saw the highlights I saw the goals and yeah there's a young guy for Boca Sergio Araujo yeah and he came on very early he's played he's played a handful of games so far he came on after about 20 minutes for Lucas Viatri, who um, picked up an injury. And he looked very impressive. He scored a beautiful goal. He got the ball on the edge of the area to get past a few players and fired at home. It was, it was, it was very a very nice impressive. Yeah, uh, and then um, he was very involved in Palermo's goal later as well. Yeah. It, there, there is the risk that he's already being hyped up. Well, he's, he's being scouted as well because I, um, I had lunch with a friend today. He'll probably kill me when he hears this for repeating it, but he he lives with uh, a lady who who takes foreign parties and dignitaries around. She was actually, and this is a fantastic story. She she was at the Super Classico with a party of thirty people, which was uh, Paul McCartney's band. Mm-hmm. Um, Paul McCartney was not there, and and nor was the drummer, but all of the other members were there and then they, and then they went for a, a steak in some incredibly expensive restaurant afterwards and spent yeah. and she told us how much was it 15,000 pesos on the bill nice. 15,000 uh, which is oh, somewhere just shy of 3,000 English pounds or 4,000 dollars <laughs> yeah say that. for, for, for a, a party of, uh, of, of 30 people um, and anyway she, she was at this game with, with a scout and I won't say who the club were but they're a kind of medium sized European club not English before any of our English language listeners start to get excited 
and he was very impressed with Araujo apparently he, he played very well and it, it was interesting just to you know we were discussing before the Super about Palermo and Biatri and, and that kind of slow and slower uh, <laughs> partnership yeah. which eventually of course Borgi didn't go with he, he started Malchi in the Malchi in the Super Classico um, he wasn't very good no he was, he was <laughs> dreadful Malchi's the biggest idiot in Argentine football I think he's awfully talented but he's um as opposed to Viachi. <laughs> yeah, he's completely insane. Um, and is liable to do something like he did against Independiente during the Clausura when he scored an absolutely brilliant goal to win it and then got sent off with two bookings for his celebration, yeah. which was tearing off his shirt and then taunting the home fans. Which has to be some court, sort of record for me. I've never heard of that being done before. <laughs> Double two bookings for no. the same celebration. No, it was astonishing. Um, but yeah, it, it makes you wonder with... Obviously, it was Araujo's first... Uh, I, I can't say for certain whether it was his... his first team debut um, but it was certainly the first time he's played such a major part in the game um, he did look very sprightly I, 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 again I was only half watching the game but then well, Dan you've got to consider he's next to Martin Palermo everyone Riquelme looks sprightly next to Palermo let's, let's be honest I did see him miss a he scored a lovely goal but he did he did miss a very very good chance as well so you know we, we should put it all in perspective here so what you're saying is he could well be the next Rodrigo Palacio <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> I think, but speaking more seriously for a second, I think this is a problem in Argentine football. These teenagers have come in and they clearly have a lot of potential. They have a lot of skills on the ball and they can score brilliant goals. But a lot of the time they'll come in at 18 and emotionally and physically they're very immature. But I don't know, a scout from Europe or these European clubs will see a highlight reel or a YouTube video or you know, mm. something more sophisticated than a YouTube video, <laughs> but along the same lines and think, this is the next best thing, this is the next Messi. Sign him up at 19, 20 and... They're just not ready for it. I mean, this is this is a problem in in our football, if I can say. Yeah, which in hurts, a way, yeah. in a way, could take us back to to Lamela, um, who we sort of was the player who started this little interlude off. Because of course, Lamela Barcelona tried to sign when he was 12 years old. Uh, they offered him something like 100,000 pounds a year at the age of 12 to to move to Barca, and he decided that his development would be better suited staying at River, um, which. Greater players have had their heads turned by that kind of offer. I mean, obviously, Messi was a slightly different situation yeah. because his neither River took him on trial and weren't prepared to pay for the um, the hormone treatment that he needed, and Newell's couldn't afford to. Well, they said they couldn't afford to pay for it either. Uh, but other players have have gone at similar ages and have just got lost in the yeah. Yeah. in the youth sides of these of these European yeah. sides. So it's in, and and yet you get players like Diego Perotti now, who's twenty three or twenty four, and at Sevilla and knocking on the door of the national side, but who when he moved there had, had only played for Deportivo Moron in the second or third division well, yeah, in Argentina Federico Fazio as well yeah. who went straight from Ferro in the, in the second division to, to Sevilla in, in Spain playing in the Champions League and he's never, he never even played in the Argentinian top flight and now we'll introduce Gerardo but first of all a little bit of our wonderful theme tune Just refill my finet glass, and whilst I'm doing so, we're going to ask Gerardo, who 
last week's listeners will remember as uh, as the River Plate fan who took part in our Super Classico preview. Geraldo, obviously you saw the game. I'm not stupid enough to ask you whether you watched it. What did you think of, of River's victory? Uh, yeah, I think it was a good match, but uh, a little bit tight. Um, I think River played uh, did a good job uh, more in the first time, uh, but in the second time, I think the the team was like a bit um, like not shining. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, that JJ uh, did a, a good job and. Uh, and make the the players uh, get along and and do a good show and I think that Maidana and uh, El Tanque Pavone, Tanque Pavone uh, that were um, Boca players did a very good match and and finally Maidana scored the, go- the one and only goal no? Considering the match on Sunday as well with San Lorenzo which was a fairly poor game, but an, an okay result for River. Would you be happy with with JJ carrying on until at least the end of the Apertura? Or? Uh, yes, I think the River the River Plate fans are supporting uh, JJ, uh, and like you said, uh, San Lorenzo match was very awful, and it seems like River is getting used to only get or reach one point uh, for for each match mm. and always uh, with a draw um, or, or lose not, um, not winning but I think uh, yeah uh, JJ is, is doing good job and we support him till the end of the year and also it's, it's two Clásicos in the space of a few days and they don't, they've not lost they, they got through both of them without they got four points so yeah. it's I'd, I'd, I'd say it's more or less acceptable, considering yeah. the form that they were in for the two yeah, months but, before. Yeah, but I think, you know, uh, River in the last times or mm. only dropped or mm. lost games. I mean. Yeah, it was yeah, about exactly. seven games, I believe, that they went. Yeah, yeah, before the Super. Yeah. yeah, which is what cost Kappa his job. Yeah. Did you did you watch Argentina-Brazil as well? Yeah. And what did you think of... I, mean, I, I think that uh, for sometimes uh, Brazil was a much opponent than Argentina, mm. was a better uh, contester, you know. and, but <laughs> when we all think that there was a awful match with 0-0, uh, Messi did his magic and <laughs> that we are uh, get used to it and <laughs> he bring us uh, the victory. Yeah, it's it's nice to to hear an Argentina fan saying that you're getting used to Messi doing that kind of thing as well. It was, um, I mean, he he played well during the World Cup. He was unlucky not to score. He scored a couple of goals since, but uh, for any listeners who've not seen it, the goal he scored against Brazil with almost the last kick of the game was as good as anything he's done for Barcelona. Almost in, in even this year where he scored so many for them. No, I'd like I'd like to ask you about Lionel Messi because I know when I arrived here in September 2009. Opinions of Messi were very mixed. I know there was a lot of people who said, right, so for Barcelona, he performs every week without fail. He'll get you a goal, he'll set you up a goal, and he'll do brilliantly. But for Argentina, it was like he didn't even care. This was the opinion, not mine. And he didn't give the performances. And I think even over Christmas, when when Argentina played Catalonia in a friendly, there was a lot of people, a few kind of wags in the press who were saying, 
right, so maybe Messi should be lining up for Catalonia. Mm-hmm. And, but do you think now, Gerardo, that after the World Cup and recently, things with Messi have started to change? People see him differently now for Argentina? Yeah, like you said, uh, there are different uh, sideways because some people love Messi and some people do not and hate him, like for that side. Um, I think in the World Cup, Messi did an acceptable job, a good job, but he didn't score, and in football that's all. Uh, but I think he put all the heart and all the strength, but he didn't, he can't do the, the, the goal. But I think that Messi, it's like half uh, Spain and half... Mm. He he's used to live more in Spain and that, and I think that he feels like the Barcelona T-shirt is his own and and Argentine too. But he's not very well compromised. I don't know it's for the money or what, but I think that he's uh, now doing a, a more acceptable job for the people that didn't like uh, in, during the World Cup or two or three years ago. But I think Messi is. No doubt, the best player in the world. Yeah, I was going to say something similar to, to what you said, um, Dan. Uh, yeah, I've seen the opinions of Messi change quite drastically in the in the last three or four years in Argentina. Whereas, <clears throat> I'd say before when I first arrived here it was about four years ago, and I'd say the majority of people were still very skeptical of, of Messi. And yeah, he, he, he gives all, he gives his all for Barcelona, but not necessarily for Argentina. La la la. Uh, but I've, I've seen that opinion. Yeah, definitely. Turn around now. I'd say definitely the majority now are, are kind of messy fans, and and he's constantly referred to now as, as the best player in the world without question. And often you'd see you used to see they'd show the highlights of the Barcelona games every morning on the news, and you'd hear people in cafes and, and bars and things making comments that, oh yeah, he can do that for Barcelona, but why doesn't he do it for Argentina? And kind of getting angry that the, the way he was playing so well. Uh, but now it's, it's definitely turned around and. People are accepting that he's he's putting in his 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 best performances for Argentina as much as as for Barcelona, and yeah, as, as Sam was saying, that the goal he scored uh, on Brazil for, against Brazil was was one of the best I think I've seen him score. I watched it about probably ten times the next day on on YouTube, just kind of going through his because it's uh, like the the FIFA nominated top ten goals of last year. He, yeah. he has one in there against Valencia, where I think the whole uh, the interesting aspect of the goal is that he robs the ball and then he, he goes on, off on his little run. He does the same thing in, in the Brazil goal for people who haven't seen it. He he kind of uh, swipes the ball off a, off a defender, then does a little nice little one-two with Navetsi, uh, and then just sort of lovely angled run, scoots off through uh, three or four Brazilian defenders who were trying to hack him down. He stayed on his feet, a lovely dink at the end, and then he, he sort of slams it into the corner. Uh, very entertaining stuff. My, my friend Sebastián García runs uh, an English language blog on the Argentine national team across all sports, but obviously it, it centres a lot around football. Um, and th- they put up a post just recently about Messi's nomination for the, the Puskas Award, which is the best goal of the, the year. Um, and he, he made the joke that apparently Messi's only got one goal in, in the list because FIFA decided that the list had to include 10 different players and they couldn't just have 10 messy goals uh, otherwise they, they could easily have done that yeah, yeah I, I sort of wonder how they chose 
say the Valencia goal because there were so many goals, you know, last year and and, and this year as well. He, he just keeps banging them in, and, mm. and a lot of them are very nice to look at. So. And I, I I just think apart from Messi as well, the the team are coming together, and and I, it's only a friendly. It was in neutral territory. It, it didn't really matter other than for the rivalry, but the fact that you've beaten Brazil as well for the first time in five years at international, at senior level, it has to be good, especially ahead of the Copa America. Very special and, and very good for the Argentine people because it's uh, like the South American classic, you know, uh, mm. Brazil, Argentina, it's like the dream uh, final of the World Cup too that didn't came reality but uh, yeah every time that we won to Brazil it's like the, the double and the triple that mm. any any other team and yeah yeah I think Argentina uh, do a good job uh, did a good job and I think the selection of the of the players by by the coach was very certain and so you're not gonna keep lobbying for Enzo Francescoli as manager? Yeah. No, no. I, I, th- I know it's a, it's a it's a dream that can be true, but yeah, it's one day. One day. Yeah. Thank you for joining us, anyway. Thank, thank you. Thank you. We'll take another quick pause now whilst we discuss what we're going to talk about next. <laughs> Okay, so moving on from from the subject of the Super and and the the international scene, we're going to talk very briefly now about the the Apertura, which is the the current section of the Argentine season that the the top flight is in, and it is after all what we're here to talk about on, on the podcast primarily. Um, it, we've got four matches left, and at the moment, the league title really is is going to be decided between two clubs. Very. Very solidly. There's Seba Verón's Estudiantes at the top of the table with 33 points, and then two behind them, Vélez Sarsfield, who, um, who, who for a long time at the start of the season people were saying looked like the most solid team in Argentina, even before they'd actually managed to get top of the table. Um, can, I, can I just say first that, as you say, there's four games left, and it, it still feels weird, even though you've been following Argent, Argentine football for quite a while. You, you feel like you're just, with these short seasons, you feel like you're just getting into the meat of it. You know, it's where in Europe you'd sort of be hitting the midway point, whereas mm. in Argentina, you suddenly look at the at the at the schedule and you've got four games left. So you feel like the, the teams are just sort of settling into their rhythm, and and yeah, and, and that's, sure, yeah. this is I'm where we find ourselves say, now. 
just going to say I'm sure the nine coaches who have already lost their jobs this season exactly. would probably agree with you Dan yeah yeah, yeah exactly and as you say yeah, it's, uh, most, I think Velez and Estudiantes were what most people were picking at the start of the year as the two best teams mm-hmm. uh, often you have other other influences like the Copa Libertadores which, which distract teams or whatever but I think most people would have agreed at the start of the season that these these were the two the teams that have have kept their their squads together the the best um, and they've got well balanced squads they've got fairly deep squads um, and good systems of play as well I've, nice um, systems of play yeah, yeah. I've, I've written for for soccer out several times in the last couple of years about how much I admire what Estudiantes especially have managed to do because in a league and on a continent where it's really difficult to achieve any kind of consistency in performance. Estudiantes have been, obviously, the, the, the last eight championships, short championships over the last four seasons in Argentina, have been won by eight different clubs. But Estudiantes have been far and away the most consistent, even though they've only won one of those titles. They've yeah. always been challenging. Whereas all of the other sides have had some kind of a fall off and have had, you know, one, one half season where they finished way off the pace. And Estudiantes always seem to be up there in the top three or four places. They've got a, a lovely engine room, don't they? They've got the, probably mm. one of the best in South America. I definitely agree with you. The midfield of, of Estudiantes is the best in the country. And I'd like to mention just one player who probably isn't that familiar to a European audience, an English audience, and that's Enzo Perez, who's a, a young Estudiantes estudiante midfielder forward. He can play winger, he can play midfield, attacking midfield forward. And he's really, really impressed me this year. I think he's about 24 now. Mm. And he's really kind of broken out this season. Had a brilliant season. He scored at the weekend against Huracan. Yes, he's a very good. Season. I'd be very yeah. surprised if, if not January in July or August, he didn't end up at a fairly, fairly decent European club. Yeah, he, he's really impressed me. He, he was very good when Estudiantes won the Copa Libertadores mm. um, last year or the year before. In two thousand and nine. Yeah. It was last year. Yeah. Um, it all seems to go a lot quicker. You think, <laughs> it does, you think about when four years have passed, but it's only because four, yeah, six months old. Years have passed. Um, and yeah, of course, they've got Branya as well, who's mm. in a way kind of similar player to Veron, but th- those two just really yeah. work well together in, in midfield, mm. taking sharing the defensive responsibilities and the attacking responsibilities. They're both creative and they they really drive the team forward. Uh, yeah, like with guys like Perez, as he said, and doesn't and they they, they do have good attacking players like uh, Gato Fernandez, um, but it doesn't really matter so much though, but as a, as a forward because you know they're going to score goals yeah they're going to have chances and they're going to score yep. goals from it and whereas Vélez on the other hand if I can move on have probably the best attack in they the, do they have a lovely attack in the championship with yeah. El Tanque Silva who's one of my favourite players of all time because he's an, <laughs> I don't know if you've seen him but he's an absolute beast of a man he is he's huge and, and he's, he's angry got, and he's, he's like, huge yeah. he's angry like a grizzly he roars, bear. Yeah. I'm, I'm not and sure I want to <laughs> sit down and have a drink with him he doesn't seem like a very nice guy but he's no. a very, very, very good striker. <laughs> and they've got, their cl- yeah, they've got their classic little and large partnership up front with um, El Burrito Martinez. And it works very well. They both they share the leadership of the top scoring charts with eight apiece. And that kind of says everything. And Martinez to. as well is a, a really, really good player. Um, highly underrated, I yeah. think. Uh, and, and then just behind him you've got, obviously, uh, Maxi Morales, who had mm. a, a very brief, unsuccessful spell in Europe. But before he was very impressive for harassing and now he's turning it on he's had a bit of an in- injury interrupted season but when he's been fit and on the pitch he's been a different class yeah just looking at the the upcoming um, 
pictures for both of them. We've we've only got you're, the, you're the next. You're your notes there, Sam. I am. Yeah, my my notes being uh, your copy of today's <laughs> Ole. So, um, we've only got the next two rounds in front of us at the moment, and when I say us, I mean me. I'm. Estudiantes does have the, the harder running. Yeah, it's, got, I mean they've yeah. they've got Independiente away on Sunday, whilst Vélez are playing Tigre, and for some reason, not playing Tigre at home until Tuesday. Um, okay. I'm not quite sure no. why they're stretching the, this current weekend from Friday to, to Tuesday, uh, but it does mean that the next episode of the podcast will be recorded without us knowing the result of that match. Um, during that match. <laughs> yes, Very possibly, possibly during that match. During that match. Um, and then Estudiantes are at home to Argentinos the weekend after that, and uh, Vélez visit, visit Godoy Cruz in Mendoza, which... That one could be tricky. It's I mean, very, yeah. n- next Tuesday's game for Vélez, let's not forget, although Tigre, uh, let's put it kindly and say they're not very good, um, they did beat Estudiantes mm. just a week and a half ago, which was a huge shock, and it was only the, the second loss that Estudiantes had had, the, the previous one being a match that all three of us were at, in fact, away to all boys. And which is so why the, the championship is still... Yeah, still going on, it's yeah. still close. Exactly. exactly. But I, I think uh, Estudiantes have, uh, they, they also have River, which uh, <laughs> make of that what you will. Mm. And I think they've got Arsenal as well. Arsenal, yeah. so they definitely have, have the, the harder run. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, sure. it's Vélez's visit to Godoy Cruz, I think, that Estudiantes will be hoping might give them a bit more leeway because Godoy themselves are, are challenging, obviously, for the Copa Libertadores spots. And in fact, if, if, if they were to get a win um, away to Gimnasia on Friday night, then they'll qualify for the Copa Libertadores in 2010, which for, particularly for a provincial side, but moreover for, and, and when I say provincial, I don't mean to sound uh, patronising in the normal uh, anglophone way. It's the, the history of the Argentine League being based so heavily around Buenos Aires means that the teams from the provinces historically have never been as strong. And in fact, if Godoy do qualify, which they're looking almost certain to, they'll be the, the first team ever from Mendoza to, to play in the Copa Libertadores. It's a huge achievement if they do that. And they've got a, it's a little anecdote really, but they have a Colombian playmaker, Jairo Castillo, who is, sorry, Castillo, I'll say it without the this Argentine accent, um, who, who is, the reason that he left his country is because, uh, do either of you know? I do, yes, he was involved in a quite nasty accident, yeah. which involved him leaving a nightclub in worse aware, we'll say. And, yeah, and ended up um, killing... Mm. Was, it, was it his girlfriend or a friend of his girlfriend or something? In, I in don't the, know uh, the details. No. In, uh, not, not deliberately, we might add, but it, it does mean that he's um, he's still wanted, I believe, in Colombia. Yeah. And so, as a result, if if Godoy you said was, that was a, a nice little anecdote, or you just said that was a little anecdote, I, I can't remember. <laughs> if I did use the word nice, I, I'd like to retract it now. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, it makes me wonder if Godoy do qualify for the Copa and get drawn in the same group as a Colombian side, but they'll have to leave yeah. him out mm. for that match. Uh, it'll be interesting yeah. to see, as much like Diego Maradona apparently <laughs> tries to avoid visiting Italy these mm. days because he's still wanted for yeah. six million pounds worth of taxes there. I <laughs> mean, it's, it's funny we got into this subject actually because I was talking about Jairo Castillo the other day mm. um, with an Argentine friend of mine. I'm a fan of racing, and this was another guy who's a fan of racing, and we're talking about him and what this guy basically said, you know, in the typically blunt, borderline racist way that a lot of kind of the older generation of Argentines have. It's basically like. What's always held Castillo back is that he loves to go out, he loves to have a bit of a good time, and if it wasn't for that, he could have been a much bigger player. He w- wouldn't be playing for Godoy Cruz, no disrespect meant, but mm. he would be playing in God knows where. Yeah, it's, it's not a problem that any Argentine players have ever had, of course. <laughs> no, uh, of lack course. of discipline. Yeah. No, no, no. Christian Fabiani, no, no problems. Not Diego Bonanotte's car crash last yeah. Christmas. 
No, that, that in no way has, has helped his career. Yeah. Pillars of society. I know. Imagine what a player Maradona could have been if he <laughs> yes. hadn't uh, <laughs> abused the court. As, as, as he himself has, has often said, in yeah. fact, as he says in his autobiography, he would have been some player if he'd not got addicted to cocaine. <laughs> yeah. And as well as as well as Godoy in, in the race for the Libertadores, it's uh, it's a it's a confusing one. And the, the Libertadores table, the Copa Libertadores being played in the first half of the year, means that it starts halfway through what Argentina refers to as its season, because they, they run a season at the same kind of time of year as the European sides, uh, European leagues even. Um, and as a result, the, the aggregated league table that's taken from, to teams who qualify for the Copa Libertadores is a, a 38-match league table spread over 2010 in order to qualify for the 2011 Libertadores, so it's two halves of two different seasons, if that makes sense. Um, and the winners will be the, the qualifiers. Sorry, will be Argentinos Juniors, who won the the Clausura Championship, as well as the winners of the Apertura, and then the top four clubs who didn't win any of the championships. So Godoy look almost certain to do that. Estudiantes, even if they don't win the title, have already qualified for for the Copa next year. And then it's going to be Belles, probably, who are six points clear. Um, of the next teams, but behind them you've got Newell's on 52, Banfield, Racing on 51, and Lanús on 50. Um, any one of whom you wouldn't really be surprised, although I think Lanús have looked like they're falling off a little in recent weeks. But all of them would um, would make worthy qualifiers, I think, and even <laughs> Racing, which is, which is saying something. Yeah. Let's see what with, uh, Racing fan. Yeah, Dan with, with the relegation. Yeah. Issues that you've had recently to now find yourself in a Copa Libertadores. <laughs> it's a turnaround, yeah, and the thing is, it happened so soon. I mean, you get to halfway through the Clausura last year, and we were definitely in the proverbial brand stuff. Like, we were fighting relegation, we were a few points above the Promocion, which is a relegation playoff. It was all looking fairly desperate, but we ended up having a very strong finish to the Clausura, and this year, has been it's been a strange one for Racing. We've looked very good at times, and we've looked pretty awful at times. We started the st- season really well, had two good wins, uh, one against All Boys at home, and then we managed to beat Boca at the Bombonera, which, take it from me, was a, was a party. Hmm. But then we went on a run of losing four in a row, and since then, we've only lost the one against Independiente, which stunned. But to be honest, with Racing this year. All of our fortunes, if we play well or not, has mainly depended on if Giovanni Moreno plays well. Mm. He's um, a Colombian that came in this year from Atletico Nacional in Colombia, and he's been a player that we're not used to seeing in La Academia. Very accomplished on the ball. I remember coming into one friend, watching him is kind of like watching a mixture between Lionel Messi and Bambi play, because <laughs> he's got these long legs he's about six foot right he's not a, he's not like a typical Argentinian engancho no, he's maker not with a little typical tiny Argentine number 10 he's not a Maradona Messi he's, he's built more like a I don't know Rivaldo or something some yeah along those lines yeah but, tall and lanky yeah but somehow he gets past players and he does very well but highly entertaining to watch highly entertaining yeah. and possibly also the most languid lazy player <laughs> I've ever seen and yeah, would, would it be a, a blessing for you, for you that I'm, I'm sure you'd love to see them in the Copa Libertadores but mm. Would it be damaging your your domestic kind of? I don't think so necessarily. No. Though. no, I mean, if we did qualify for the Libertadores, touch wood, we'd have to invest heavily in the squad. If we did qualify, we'd need to bring in like a number two, a central defender, probably another another midfielder to anchor the midfield with Jacob, 
and definitely a goal-scoring striker. That's what we struggled with. I think part of the problem over the winter was that you almost became slightly carried away with the um, the, the same kind of thing that, that River have suffered from, and, and Boca to a slightly lesser extent recently have tried to bring bring in a, a really big name player back to the country, and, and the one that was chosen was Roberto Ashana. Yeah, <laughs> who's a name that everybody, all of our listeners in Europe, will be more than familiar with, um, of course. But he's he's played two matches for you or something. Two at the most. Yeah. Did he's he come a, back in January or, or in January? The, yeah. Yeah. Um, so in fact, over the summer break, but he's he's barely played, yeah. and it's not as if he's been injured. He's just no. plainly looked completely off the pace to, to the point where people have been wondering how on earth he was still more or less playing for Real Saragossa mm. before Grassing signed him again. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, no, I agree. I think if you certainly need at least one really good centre back yeah. um, in order to strengthen. Um, and just uh, talking about the, as you mentioned, Boca and River there, and, and talking about the Libertadores, and I was just noticing, looking at the table before, and who we're talking about to, to qualify for the Libertadores. Uh, you have the we touched on it last week as well, but you have the five traditional grandes, the big clubs of yeah. Argentinian football, and I think you need to go down to about six before you get the first one. Only yeah, Racing a joint sixth. Only Racing are anywhere near this year. And then yeah. you go away, you got, you got Independiente. Which is strange for us, to be honest. We're not used to this kind of yeah, being, to being top of the Grandes, <laughs> <laughs> which is nice. We'll, we'll be looking in, in future weeks into exactly why the, the big clubs are falling away and, and the, the traditionally smaller, um, in inverted commas, clubs are, are finding it easier to, to climb the table in Argentina. But on, that, on a similar note, actually, one of the things that I've noticed is in a way it's a shame in another way it's not really a shame that, that all boys aren't going to be in the Copa Libertadores next year even if they, they finish really high up the Apertura table they'd have to um, finish champions I believe they so. would yeah um, because the way that it works of course is that whilst the Libertadores qualification is decided over the whole of 2010 all boys were only promoted in the middle of 2010 and so even though on, on the relegation table which is another issue <laughs> and if you want a, an explanation of that then if I can plug my own blog um, I suggest you go to astelgosiempre.com and have a look at the tables page and there's a quick write-up there. I'm glad you're, you've explained it. Thank you very much. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's essentially, all boys are, on current standings, they're third in the relegation promedio, which is astonishing for a newly promoted side. And, and they've beaten, already this season, they've beaten Estudiantes, as we saw, very impressively, as well as River and Boca, who much as they weren't very good when they visited All Boys they're still River and Boca and, and for a club of that size to to get such a win is something else and so it's all I, I feel slightly disappointed for them that they don't get any continental football this season um, at the same time with the squad that they have it's it's a good squad but it's kind of thinly stretched so it's probably a good thing for their survival prospects in the Clausura that they they've not got that extra distraction no, I think be they'll be extremely happy to, to yeah. safely avoid Dropping yeah, I mean, back down yeah. straight, again, straight away, and exactly. they, they, yeah, as you said, they've been highly entertaining this year and exactly. beating the big teams and and playing nice football as well. Yeah. I mean, the thing is with All Boys is they have a very switched-on manager, Jose Pepe Romero, who's been there since I believe 2007. He's been mm. there for a long time, so they have that established base, and they also brought quite a few players up from the Nacional B with them, uh, Nicolas Cambiaso. Mm. You might recognise the name because he's the older brother of. Esteban and also they brought very well domestically they brought in Sebastián Grassini from Racing who's um, a number 10 very traditional Argentine number 10 and very good at what he does and he does it he's had a few problems with injury recently but 
he's scored some some lovely goals, including the the one against the the one against the yeah. which we all saw. Which was a lovely goal, a golas. And yeah, and apart from that, they've got a very solid defence. They don't leak many goals at all. They had a bit of a shaky start, but in the last half of the season, they probably it's championship form. Yeah, my um, one of my very good friends, a girl called Cecilia, who's an Independiente fan. Um, she doesn't know anything about football. Uh, <laughs> bless her. Has has a team in Grande Te, which is the Argentine version of fantasy football. Um, and she she has since asked me to start helping out because she was getting embarrassed, and so she's now given me control of her fa- transfer policy. Um, but at the start of the season, when she picked her team, she had Cambiasso in goal because he was Esteban's brother, and, and the, rest, the rest of her team was similarly picked around players whose names she found funny. So you had Roberto Broom. Um, <laughs> <laughs> who was a player I'd forgotten even existed and indeed when I looked at his stats I think he's played one match all, all season and she was wondering why he wasn't winning her any points um, but yeah she, she insisted when, when she first gave me control of the transfer policy that the one player I could not budge was Cambiasso and when, when she first told me that she picked him I said why? they're newly promoted they're going to get I mean, th- yeah, they might not lose every week, but they're, they're going to ship goals easily. And uh, and as it happens, he's actually he's doing all right. He's he's getting a, a, a fair few clean sheets, and he's one of the um, I believe on, on the Grand Day stats that he's one of the better. He's not the very best goalkeeper to have in your team, of course, but but he's not as far off as you as you think. So. <laughs> I think the only thing I find disappointing about that decision is that she overlooked the. Independiente reserve keeper Fabian Asman. <laughs> it is a very silly name, but I think she probably realised that that he wasn't going to play at all. No. She, she did name several other Independiente players in the outfield positions as well. That's yeah, um, that's never a good idea. No, no, certainly not this season. It's not. Um, yeah, well, it was a nice story with with Cambiaso uh, when when they did get promoted. Um, Always, or when they when they won their promotional playoff, uh, it was the same weekend where that Esteban Cambiaso won the won the Champions League with Inter. So, uh, very happy family. Course, happy yeah. family. I think the parents went to watch the Inter game. So, yeah, <laughs> they they made an ex- executive decision. And no, no, I think I would have made <laughs> Okay, well, on that note, we're going to um, we're going to stop bothering Zombie, who's now fallen asleep at, at Dan's feet, and is. Uh, He's hopefully a good boy, not. really. He's hopefully not snoring too but loudly. He's a good boy. But he's currently sleeping, and so now we're going to finish off disturbing him. <laughs> Pack the table away, and we'll say goodbye for another week. We hope you've enjoyed Hand of Pod. Um, no, well, that went, that went well, considering we didn't have any plan as well. Yeah. Just looking at the league table and saying, "Oh, this is funny, isn't it?" <laughs> <laughs> look at all the boys. Look at Gunnar Cruz. Aren't they doing well? Oh. <laughs>